Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You are listening to Be The Change, a podcast of conversations with true visionaries who are creating new paradigms for a healthier planet and society. I am your host, Christine Demick, and my work is in finding real solutions to the biggest problems we face today climate crisis, capitalism, social injustices, and our failing health. There are amazing humans out there that have answers, and it is my mission to have their voices heard. Together, we can raise consciousness and create a just and equal society. Together, we can be the change. You may know Eric Adams for his work in politics. A Brownsville, Brooklyn native, he worked his way from police captain to state senator to his current position as Brooklyn Borough President. But like so many change makers, his most important work came from a life-threatening experience. Just five years ago, BP Adams was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. With sight lost in one eye and tingling in his hands, his doctor was shocked he wasn't in a coma. Like millions of others, he was prescribed pills to control his disease. But he knew this was not the way for him. Eric Adams reversed his diabetes in three months on a vegan diet. He was told he would never regain his eyesight, but he did in three weeks eating just plants. Armed with knowledge and personal experience, BP Adams is a fierce fighter for his constituents' health, waking them to the politics of their food choices and how to regain their own health and perhaps most importantly, understanding that the choice of what we put in our mouths is the first step to becoming our highest selves. I think you will find his story to being the change not only compelling, but inspiring. I hope you enjoy. So welcome, Borough President. Thank you for being on Be The Change. Thank you so much. And as you were you know, doing that opening, uh, I reflected on, in that quick moment, you know how people say your life passed by your eyes. My vision and the changes I made throughout my life sort of just sort of went by my eyes. You know, when I was a young man, I was arrested and I was beaten bad by police. And instead of saying, woe is me, I embraced the belief of why not me. And I became a police officer and fought for how we can create this symbiotic relationship between police and young people. And during the height of stop and frisk, as fate would have it, I uh, was in the police department and later went on to become a state senator that wrote important legislation and bills around how we don't uh, criminalize young people. And so it was about constantly evolving into that state of not just saying, oh, woe is me, but really, why not me? And you're right. The theme of your podcast is so true. We just need to be the change we want to see because no one is going to bring that passion more than the person that has the vision of what the change is needed. I love that. I I think, you know, we can't take it personally. Right. I I think that's one of the biggest things that I, I came about. Like you said, why not me? It's not why me, but why not me? And then what can I do with this? Because everything is a learning lesson. I, I, you know, I know many listeners are, are surely aware of you in, in politics. Um, and today we're going to talk about the politics of our food system, right? And how it's destroying our health. So last year, I actually, I was made aware of your own awakening at Food Tank. I heard you speak and you shared your incredible self-cure from diabetes. 
Could you share this story with our listeners and on how you became woke to your your own food choices and your health? The the journey was an amazing one. And there was something else you said at the beginning. You stated about, you know, who you meet along the way. And I really want you to encourage your audience that this life we're living is not about the destinations. It's about the journey. We spend so much time focusing on the destination that we miss the beauty of the journey. You know, it's almost like the alchemist moment when you walk through the room focusing on the cup full of oil that you don't even see the beauty of the house that you walk through. And so we oftentimes miss the people who uh, we meet along the way because we are just focused so much on the destiny and not the journey. The universe is going to take care of the destiny because no matter what we want, it is beyond our control. It's, it's in the control of the universe. So we should live present in the moments we're in. And so when I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, it was while I was out of the country, I was having stomach pains. And I thought, sure, it was colon cancer, as I share often, uh, because I lost a friend to colon cancer, a young man in his 50s. and when I returned to the country, I went to my internist and he had me go uh, check my colon and my stomach. And during that time, I was under sedation. When I came out of sedation, uh, the doctors had my lab uh, work and he says, Eric, your problem, you know, you had a small ulcer, it's not your colon, your colon is fine. But your real problem is your diabetes. He says, your diabetes is extremely high. Your A1C, which is your blood uh, glucose level, uh, is extremely high. And he was, he said, Eric, I'm amazed that you're not in a, in a coma right now, a diabetic coma. I, and I was experiencing, in addition to the stomach pain, I was experiencing tingling, as you indicated, in my hands and feet. And my left uh, vision in my left eye was completely gone. My ophthalmologist said, Eric, you have to turn in your driver's license. You're legally blind and you could no longer drive, drive a car. And it was just a moment of just uncertainty. I walked into the doctor's office just to look at a pain I was having. And I walked out with a bottle full of medicines. Uh, they prescribed insulin. Uh, several pills, including metformin for the diabetes, you know, stuff for my eyes, stuff for my nerve damage, stuff for my my ulcer, which originally brought me there. And so I just walked out with a bunch of medicines and no hope, no hope. And, you know, what was interesting. There was a moment when the doctor told me that I was diabetic, that I said to myself, you know what, you knew this, you knew this was coming, Eric. You, your mother's diabetic, your brothers and sisters are either diabetic or pre-diabetic, you know, uh, your family members are all, you know, my, my distant relatives. So there was a moment when I said that, you know, you get to a certain age, you get these chronic diseases, and that's the script of life. And so, you, you, you know, you just got to suck it up and deal with it. And that moment was a fleeing moment. But, but yeah, I love, and I listened to, in doing my research and learning more about you, there was one thing that you said that I, it was so profound. It was, it wasn't that I had bad genes right. with my mother, right. but it was that I had bad news. Right, right, right. That was so important because I went to five, yeah. when the first doctor told me my state was permanent, I went to five of the best doctors in the city and they all told me the same thing in different versions. You know, 
And the big thing is that, listen, it's hereditary, it's in your DNA, and it's not. It's not our DNA. It's our dinner. I say that over and over again, and people really need to understand that. You did not come out of your mother's womb um, with diabetes, and you did not get a prescription for chronic diseases uh, based on uh, your your mother's womb and the, the, your X and Y chromosome from your mom and dad. We're all born with the propensity to have various diseases, but our lifestyle determines if those diseases are going to be turned on or off. You know, there's probably, as I'm told, about 5% of our genes that we have nothing to do with. But our these chronic diseases, we are very much a silent partner and bringing these diseases upon ourselves. So what, what's, what's your take on these doctors? Like, why, why aren't they bringing <laughs> up food? Like, what, you know, right? I, I think the greatest level of betrayal to the healthcare system uh, are those medical professionals who really, I think, if they know it or not, they are being traumatized. They're experiencing PTSD. And it's so unfair uh, that they grew up as children playing nurse or doctor with the cat or their brothers and sisters. So hopefully, hopefully one day they will heal people. Then they go into uh, their training and their residency and they're told basically sick care, not health care. They're taught how to treat symptoms. And I think that's the greatest level of betrayal. These are good people. You cannot tell me that year after year of watching a family member come in and you give them metformin, then insulin, then limb amputation, then blindness, then kidney dialysis. And you can't tell me that after years of practicing and knowing that you're going to be telling that person in a few uh, years that they're going to have to lose a limb or they're going to go on dialysis or they're going to go blind. That is PTSD. And I think it's unfair what we did to doctors uh, that wanted to save lives. And in fact, we are actually destroying lives and we need to go back and retrain and allow doctors to use their training credits to learn how do you, how do you reverse diseases and prevent diseases. I think you and I both know that there are some out there that, you know, do uh, good work. And I, I know of Dr. Greger's work. I know that you read his book and I've, I've heard him speak. I, I'm going to share with you uh, so a personal story is that my mom was, my mom just passed away in, in uh, February. And we, uh, she had an underlying blood cancer that we didn't know about. But uh, we believe that she was one of the first people to come down with COVID. And during that time, it was a much, it was a much different time, right? In the hospital, she was at Sinai. And so, you know, she had the whole thing where things tasted weird and like all this stuff that now come out now, but no one knew about then, right? But anyhow, in my, in my journey with her, those 45 days, um, you know, the food was a big issue and it wasn't that the nurses didn't know. You know, we would, I would be bringing her in, I, you know, she, she was vegetarian. So I'd bring her in her food and her, you know, and her, her health shakes and her vegetables and all that. And the nurses would, they encouraged me and they could see it as well. You know, that my mom was being given ginger ale and like, you know, high sodium broths and stuff that she just couldn't, you know, so how do we bring 
people, our, our system's so broken. I mean, I feel like there's so much work, but you're, you are, you're right. But you're out there. Like you started with like our kids. It starts with our kids. You created a meatless Mondays in our public schools, right? Is that one of your right. initiatives that we have there? And, you know, but how are we going to bring this to the, to our hospitals? Like going through what we're going through now and, and, and getting this to, you know, where it should be a place of health. And that is such a great question because of the enormity, enormity of the problem. Sometimes we feel like, uh, you know, oh, well, it is what it is. And that is not true. We're in a different place right now. I think there's a cosmic shift in the universe where people uh, want to be well. They want their families well. And we need to find those entry points. I think COVID-19 is giving us an excellent opportunity of reinventing our sick care system. And you do it by really empowering people on a local level, showing parents uh, why, why the days their children are, are missing from school is due to what's on their plate demanding the first place, as I announced today, a bill, uh, a legislative uh, bill we introduced with um, Ben Kalos, calling for any food that the city purchases must be healthy food. We should not be feeding the crisis. There's no reason why we feed over 960,000 meals a day to our school-aged children and we know those meals cause childhood obesity, childhood diabetes, and, and contribute to childhood asthma. So people should not be eating healthy food on our dime. Our hospitals, um, H&H hospital system, our correctional facilities, our nursing homes, anywhere taxpayers are paying for the food to be delivered, we should not be paying for food that's unhealthy. That is a good starting point. I can't tell a person what to put on their grill in their backyard on Memorial Day, but I darn sure can, can, can dictate what I'm going to feed you on taxpayers' dimes uh, inside the hospitals or our schools or our other institutions. Right now, we are contributing to the healthcare crises, and we need to change that. Beautiful. I think, you know, one of the things I saw you brought up prisons and uh, one of the things in Rikers was that they had a, a garden in the back and uh, those who, who uh, uh, worked in the garden ended up not coming back. You know, they found it to be an incredible rehab system because the people were connecting with their food. And I think, you know, now I, I love this idea, but how are you going to go how are you going to avoid when the people, the marketers, right, these big corporations, when they start getting their hands into the city and like trying to, you know, like, I'll give you this deal. And then they start saying it's good or not. I mean, my son is like, every time I go to the store, when he was five, it was easy. I told him, like, I used to tell him he'd see Lucky Charms on TV. And I told him that they were illegal in New York City. <laughs> and when he was at the age of like 10, he said to me, he, he said, we were in Delane Reed. And he said, Mom, they have Lucky Charms here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, but it doesn't work now. Right. He's 13. So, yeah. you know, he wants he wants wings. You know, he wants the Red Bull. He wants the G Fuel. He wants Gatorade. Like, how do we stop this crap and this marketing with our kids um, and, and even in our schools and in our government? Yeah. So true. And the science of this marketing understanding human behavior, understanding color schemes and how it impacts your mind, understanding where to put foods in supermarkets, 
uh, how to excite your taste buds, uh, the billions of dollars that's spent on making sure you poison yourself is just unbelievable. And then government's participation, high-priced lobbyists are able to go to Washington, D.C. and shape our food pyramids and our food plates. Uh, We are inundated with those who are destroying our families. And so the movement must be a grassroots movement. must start with our children. Um, To combat your son looking at Lucky Charms is to go into the classroom and every day uh, encourage and empower him. Our children are ready. They're ready for a movement. And we need to show them the connection between um, the destruction of our planet and the overconsumption of meat that we are burning down our Amazon with uh, chicken feed and cattle feed, how we're just destroying our environment, uh, how their friends and and those who they enjoy playing uh, video games with and how they're dealing with these issues, how we can turn it around. I think if we start showing our young people what food is not only doing to their mothers, but what it's doing to Mother Earth, I believe that energy is going to come from that group of of activists, I like to call them. Just as they move forward in the assault uh, weapons ban, they were able to get Congress to move because of the energy of young people were tired of seeing people shot on their school grounds. They need to see the connection in a real way how food is destroying their communities. That revolution's coming, right? You can feel it. Uh, you can absolutely so. feel it. Now, I now so okay. So now I'm going to ask you for a little bit of help. So I I am vegan, all right. In my I'm I'm borderline vegan. I'm not going to lie because I have the occasional shrimp every now and then. But for the most part, I'm <laughs> vegetables and beans and tofu. I don't know why about the shrimp, but I do. But th- th- again, that's that's occasionally. But my husband. So my husband, too, had uh, he was diagnosed with diabetes and he also, too, got that call from our doctor who said, I don't know why you're not dead. She thought he should have been Mm. in a coma. In fact, she she wouldn't let him even travel until he got it under control. But he's getting better, Mm. but he can't give up that he can't give up that, you know, the meat in the in the uh, the dairy. So another thing I have heard you say was that, you know, you meet people where they are. So what suggestions do you have? You can't, you know, my son did watch Game Changers, right? Great movie. Loved it. I thought it really spoke to men. Okay. Not to be, you know, I I don't know if that's sexist or not, but I felt like, you know, my young, it really spoke to him and he tried, but he lasted a week. He went like, you know, like he went, he went from, bacon to like, you know, just beans, and then he couldn't handle it. So how do we get into it? Like, how, what do you suggest? And it's not easy because let's, let's be honest. Uh, food is heroin. There's a reason we have an NA and an AA uh, because the emotional connectivity to food is real. We are addicts and we may look down at someone who's hooked on heroin or opioids, but we're no different. Taking a substance that's harmful to your body and you can't stop taking it. That sounds like steak to me. That sounds like fried chicken to me. (laughs) So we are addicts and we need to really respect the power of that bad food 
uh, it actually has over us. And if we don't respect that, then we're going to believe, okay, I can stop this anytime I want. No, you can't. <laughs> you know, when you know that the food you're eating is going to cause you harm, yet you are still eating that food, that's more psychological than physical. And we need to respect the power that food has. And so one part of medicine that is not in place that I think should be in place is behavioral science. Uh, we need to really understand, hey, Ms. Jones, you are diabetic. Why can't you put down that Coca-Cola? What is the underlying issue that is causing you to still hold on to that Coca-Cola or eat that donut every day or eat all of that processed food? And I think once we start respecting the behavioral aspects of food, we can start addressing it. And some of that is counseling. Some of that is group therapy, getting in the room with other people, uh, the same attention we put on NA and AA um, is the attention we need to put on our addiction to, to food and have a support group. I would reach out if I were you. I would reach out and have your husband get, become part of a support group of other men who are trying to get over this issue and ex exchange recipes and then find his food taste. That was important to me. I had to find my food taste. What is it that I like about the taste of food? And one of the things I enjoy, I enjoy immensely uh, ice cream. And I enjoy a sweet taste after my meals. And once I found my, my food taste, I was able to then start searching on the many recipes that satisfy my taste. I'm a master at making frozen dessert with frozen bananas and peanut butters and, and uh, different nuts and uh, blueberries. Uh, I can eat it. I don't miss ice cream at all. It is so good. You know, I'm a master at using dates to get that sweet taste that I want. Uh, a great tool that uh, many people that came from the Middle East used to be in the desert for days and only have dates. And so then I went into, which I would encourage you to do with your husband, explore spices. Uh, we really don't like the foundation of a meal. We like the spices of those meals and have them explore all the different spices and find the spice that really helps him. Our spices are more powerful than the actual food we're eating, cumin nutmeg, cinnamon, uh, garlic, onion powders, all of those spices are amazing. And I would encourage him to explore the spices, be part of a support group that he can start together, and then start cooking some of his own meals if he doesn't already, so he can see the power of the meals that he creates to fit his taste bud. And lastly, dispel, dispel the rumor of plant-based. People think we walk around with kale in our pockets, pockets all the time and we eat this boring uh, meal. No, my food is so exciting. It's far more exciting than it has ever been. And encourage him to look at these dis different recipes out there that show how to make great, exciting meals. Show him some of the pictures. Go on some of the website. Have him try some of these meals. And trust me, he'll make the transition because food should look good taste good, and it should be good for you. 
Yeah, agree, agree. I think one of the things that was the most powerful for me in my own journey was that it was, I started looking at my, my food as fuel for my body and for my health instead of like, you know, triggering like, you know, that thing in your brain where it's like, oh, that, you know, the KFC tastes good or the salt or the sugar. It was more like, I feel good. I can't eat any crap now. I can't, I, you know, I'll avoid it. I'll just, I'd rather starve. Right. Right. But that and, and it, take, know, it takes some and time. You know what? Tell them don't beat himself up. You know, yeah. if you can start out having two or three days, that is a totally, totally healthy day. And if he makes stumbles on other days, that's fine. Transition, evolution. It's a lifestyle change. And I find that people fall will fall into three categories. The first category is a person like myself. I, I just cho- I chose life. I chose not to lose my sight, not to lose my limbs, uh, not to live on medication. And it was just a, a transition. There was some stumbling blocks, it's, you know, hard times. But I just chose life. And then you have type two person that they want to do right, but they just don't have all the resources and information and they need help to get over uh, that stumbling block. And we need to make sure the support systems are in place to give them that support. I think your husband fall in that, falls in that category. And then type three, that we have to be honest. There's some people who say, listen, I'm going to die anyway, and I really don't care. Give me the medication. And not until they're on their deathbed, they start to reflect and say, I wish I would have. But in reality, <laughs> you're not going to, you know, you're not really going to talk them over the line. And you don't give up on them. But you understand where they are and you just you want to be there when they make that de- determination and just want to hope it's not too late. But those type twos is why I spend a lot of attention and making sure I give them as much resources as possible. Our Bellevue a project where we have the first of its kind in America, a lifestyle medicine a clinic um, headed by Dr. McMackin. We are reversing diseases, getting people off of their medication. This is an amazing initiative that eventually is going to go citywide. And then there's a holistic approach. When I uh, first started um, training in the gym, my trainer said, Eric, you can't work one body part and think you're going to be healthy. And that's the same thing with having a healthy body. We can't only be physically healthy. We must be emotionally and spiritually healthy. We have to meditate. We have to spend time of healing internal inside. We have to realign our spirit like we realign our bodies when it's out of alignment. And so it's important to encourage him to find some outlet, if it's meditation, if it's yoga. But our body, our physical presence is matched with the spirit of our anatomy. And our, 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 our spirit has an anatomy also, and it needs to be healed with nutrition. And that nutrition is going inward and doing self-healing. Well, that's incredible. I, you know, I know you, 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 you're very busy now and I know I have to wrap up this time with you. I could talk to you for hours. Um, I, you know, everyone out there hearing this and in hearing your words also know that, um, that you are also, uh, putting in your hat to run for mayor. Is that correct? We're looking at it, but I think, you know, every day at a time, you want to do the things that are right. My goal is to make the city a healthy city, both physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Uh, That's my goal. And no matter what I do in public life, I'm going to continue to pursue that. 
Well, I'm going to ask people to keep that in mind when they go to, to vote in a year. And then lastly, I want to ask you, BP, can you tell me, like, what keeps you going and staying on purpose? Like, I believe that humans need purpose. That's that's mm. our drive, right? Like, but then there are times, and, and trust me, I, I know you're dealing with a lot of stuff right now. Like, what gets you up in the morning? I love that, Christine. And that's such an important uh, question. And I'm not politically driven, I'm purpose driven. And I believe that we need healthy children and families. And I watch as a police officer, how bad policies um, control an environment and create an environment. We spend a lifetime pulling people out of the river. No one takes time to go upstream and find out why they're falling in, in the first place. Archbishop Desmond Tutu said that, paraphrasing him. And my purpose is really to show that we can live a quality, a qualitative life and families can enjoy families again. And I'm hoping that we can start the process of reintroducing ourselves to someone that we forgot about, and that is ourselves. You know, I want to show people as much as I could possibly do so how to know yourself again. And in some cases, know yourself for the first time. I spent the bulk of my life not knowing Eric, and I abused Eric, and that's why I had diabetes. And now I'm on a purposeful journey of not only knowing who I am, but showing people the roadmap to knowing themselves as well. That's beautiful. Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams, thank you for coming on, and thank you for being the change. Thank you. Be well. Be well, you too. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and are inspired. We grow with supporters and listeners like you. So please share this podcast with your community and follow us on Instagram at bethechange.nyc. And to learn more about our guests and what you can do to be the change, go to our website at www.bethechange.nyc. That's bethechange.nyc. Thank you and be well.